Great singing. I'm always surprised it's time. I had to poke Tom and ask if it's time. I always enjoy the singing here and, and visiting with everyone. Thank you for being here. Maybe you're visiting tonight from another congregation. We're thrilled you're here. Maybe you're visiting from the community, and we're very happy you're here. We hope that you'll consider the study of the evening. I'd encourage you to read along. Uh, I welcome you to a study that really applies to the church of God. And so I want to talk to you tonight about a thriving church. And if I was to ask you, I know a few of you here know the answer. In the last 18 years, how many churches do you think have closed their doors in our brotherhood? 18 years, pretty good time. And I'll tell you the answer to that question is 39 churches. And I'm going to tell you that is a pitiful number. A horrible number. And I want to talk to you about churches that thrive or a thriving church. I've been blessed to travel to churches and see churches. I've seen churches that I believe are really thriving. I've seen churches that are just hanging in there. And I've been to congregations that for me, as an evangelist, I look at them and go, nearly dead. Almost gone. I was in a congregation a few years ago in Ireland, and they had three members to that congregation, and we met with them on Sunday, and I didn't take a coat to Ireland because we were going to Africa, and I didn't think about needing a coat in Ireland. They didn't heat their building. 43 degrees. I was kind of wishing I was preaching that day. I thought I'd have preached up a storm, you know. I'm going to tell you, three folks is not thriving. So I want to read to you from the New Testament, the book of Acts, verse 9, and, and we'll read a little bit more of this. But I want you to notice the situation of the churches. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. And were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And I want you to notice specifically the wording, they were multiplied. Now does that mean that there was one more Christian? You know, I found out just through the course of the day, there's been five baptisms that I know of today. Two in Wheeler, Texas. Two at La Prada, one in College Park. Praise God. Are we after one more Christian? Is that what multiplied means? Does that mean one more church? You know, in the last 18 years, there's been some new churches. But I'll tell you, it's not 39. Not 39. Does multiplied mean two more churches? Or does it mean many more? And times are hard, and less people are interested in religion as a whole in this nation. And it's, people say it's harder to talk to people, and that's probably true. 
But I'll tell you, they went through some hard times in the New Testament times. They had challenges and difficulties that faced the church. But I want to talk to you about the nature of the church and the expectation that I believe that God has for the church. Because I want the church to thrive. I want you to go to heaven. I want there to be more Christians here and more churches everywhere. Did you know that the bulk of the churches that we work together with are Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas? There's a whole lot of states we need to be in. And you know, we have foreign works in just a few countries. There's a wealth of work that we need to do. Look at the nature of the church. In the book of Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31, another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs, it becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." What, what does that mean? What does that parable tell us about the kingdom of heaven? Well, doesn't it say that it's going to start out small and it's going to rapidly grow and fill the whole earth? Isn't that the nature of the kingdom? Isn't that the nature of the church to grow? Is it the nature of the church of God to hang on? You know, I started doing this church directory. Merle drafted me, I guess. I did, he said, come meet me in Elk City. Next thing I knew, I had it. I started calling churches to get updates for a directory. And, it, and every few years, I called more and more people. And nowadays, Tom helps me a lot. Titus helps me. Other people, it's a lot of people to call. But there was a congregation I called several times four or five and I talked to one old brother every time and every time that I talked to that man he said I won't be here next time you call and the next time I called he said we won't be here that our church will be gone well that's discouraging not we got great opportunities not we're really growing it wasn't a, hey, we're doing good, we've got a new family, or we've got a new teacher, or it was, next time you call, I'll be dead. And next time you call, this church will be dead. That's not the nature of the kingdom. The nature of God's church is to grow. The nature is to flourish. In good times, yes. In hard times, yes. Through difficulty and challenge? I believe so. Notice the book of Luke chapter 8 verse 8. He said, Others fell on good ground and sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. What is a hundredfold? That's one seed turning into a hundred, isn't it? Or a hundred and one. I'm no math guy. That's a massive growth. Do you ever remember a year when someone got up and said, we've got a hundred new churches this year? I'll tell you what, I think folks have flapped their wings about that. I'd be excited. What if I told you we had a hundred baptisms last year? Would that excite you? 
What if I told you we've had a thousand in the last seven years? Because that's true. A thousand and eleven since I started keeping count. And I probably haven't got them all. Is that multiplying? The fact is, some churches are thriving and growing, and some churches are not. So the question is, what makes a church thrive? In the book of Acts chapter 16, he says, As they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. That's the nature of the kingdom. The nature of the church is to grow. What was happening? They were hearing the word of God, weren't they? They were being taught the decrees. And they were strengthened in the faith. And they increased. So somebody was doing something to make them increase. Acts 8, verse 3 and 4. Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. I'll tell you, this was a dark time, a hard time. This was a challenging time. He says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. What did they do? We're going to shut down? We're going to have to close? We're going to have to go into hiding? Hide our faith? Don't tell anyone you're a Christian? We'll meet in the dark? We'll meet in a cellar? We'll do it quietly and no one will know? No. They went everywhere preaching the word. They went out and began to teach people. They began out to sow the seed. They were looking for a hundredfold. They were looking for growth. They were thinking about the nature of the kingdom. It's not just status quo. It's grow. It's thrive. That's what Jesus is about. He's about life. So what makes churches thrive? I believe two things. Strong leadership and highly active members. Strong leadership and highly active members. Of those 39 churches that have closed, there were two that had elders. Two. I'm going to tell you, that's pitiful. We've got to have good leadership. And I believe you've had that here. I believe you do have it now. But leadership have got to lead a congregation to do the work. To do the work of the kingdom and the work of God. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Leaders have to lead the church to do that. Leaders have to teach the flock and guide the flock. Leaders, according to the book of 1 Peter, have to be in samples to the flock. Leaders have to equip the saints to do the work of the church. And I want to tell you something, brethren and my friends, it's your work. It's your work. Let's look at this passage. Effective working by which every part does its share. We all have a share. 
elders have a share, deacons have a share, men have a share, women have a share, old men have a share, experienced men have a share, experienced women, young people, teenagers have a share. We all have a share. Every part's got to work. Every part's got to be involved. For a church to thrive, we've got to have good leadership that lead us, and everybody's got to be involved. Each person contributes to the production of the whole. And it all works together. We've got to work together. What is the mission of the church? Isn't it to spread the gospel? To reach the lost and keep the saved? Isn't that what we're about? It's not about how much money you have or big a building or any of those kinds of things. It's about promoting the gospel and spreading the gospel. And every person's got to contribute to that because ultimately there's a spear point of the gospel. And elders have got to be back here along with teachers and evangelists helping the members to do this, to make a thrust. Because what's going to change people's lives and cause people to come here is the gospel being in their heart. I tell you, there's not one of those thousand people in the last seven years that hadn't been taught the gospel. Every one. Some of them have been taught the gospel multiple times. Some of those people have sat through church service after church service because they were invited to church. And all those people who obeyed the gospel in the last seven years have heard Jesus preach. And so ultimately, the tip of the spear is the gospel. And someone's got to preach the gospel. Someone's got to. That means someone's got to study and know the scriptures and be capable of knowing the scriptures. And so we can look up here and find a lot of study that's going to support the gospel and help preach the gospel. And so as a church, if we're going to thrive, people are going to have to study and be well studied and know the Scripture. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. You people who are here know 90% more than anyone you'll talk to. Just a couple of weeks ago, I talked to a little blonde-headed teenage girl, member of the church. She said, I want to talk to you about this study I've been doing. I said, who are you studying with? She said, a Baptist preacher. Got guts, little girl. She said, I really think I hurt his feelings. I said, you did? She said, yeah, I think I, hurt, I hit him too hard. <laughs> I want an army of you little ladies. <laughs> no fear. We need people doing that. You know what? We need people taking out the trash. That matters. If your building's filthy, it matters. That helps us preach the gospel. Merle Fielder told this story about being in Tucumcari, New Mexico. Anyone here from Tucumcari? Make sure before I tell this story. Okay. They go to work in Tucumcari. And they roll in there and they go in and inspect the church and the church is filthy so they started cleaning the church. This happened a lot of times. I went to a lot of places with Merle Fielder where we cleaned the church. It was the first thing we did. And they're cleaning the church and looking around the church and they look and the baptistry's empty and I, I hope your baptistry's not empty. Is your baptistry full? Praise God. 
And he looked around and the baptistry was empty. And he got to looking in the baptistry and there's a Bermuda grass root in the baptistry. It grew up from outside some way 22 feet long. How long do you think it had been since they used the baptistry? It's a little too long. Is there a church in Tucumcari? No. They're dead. And it takes people to be involved in all the little things. And you can see this list. It takes people visiting the sick to make a church work. It takes people providing communion and setting those things up and being prepared to have a church service. We've got to have that and building care. When I was in Nigeria, I drank a bottle of water in this church and I asked one of the Nigerians, what can I do with this empty bottle? He goes, I said, yes, but I don't know where to put it. He said, I said, I don't know what to do. And he took it and he threw it on the floor. He said, there you go. Well, they have a little different standard there than we do here. But all these things have got to happen. At some point, someone out there has to invite someone to study and say, I want to study the Bible with you. It's got to happen because people have got to hear the gospel. And if the church is going to thrive, then we need a lot of you people inviting people to study. Not all of you have to do a Bible study, but some of you do. And they need to happen every day for the church to thrive. Because the mission of the church is to preach the gospel to the lost, for people to be saved. The mission of the church is to keep the saved in the church and help them to be faithful unto death. The mission of the church is not to have a a mission that just feeds people or clothes people or is just about benevolent works. Those things are good. But ultimately, if we have peace and we have gospel meetings and we all push and work together, the mission of the church is to spread the gospel so people can hear. And I know, because I've been acquainted with this congregation for many years, that there's a lot of people here who have been involved in doing Bible studies. There's many people who have been inviting people to church. They meet their neighbors They're co-workers. They build a relationship. They invite them to church. They ask them to study. And there are people here who do those studies. I want to tell you something. One of these days, Jay Henderson won't be here to do those studies. And somebody's got to fill those shoes. It may take two or three of you. Someday, these men who have led in this area are not going to be here to lead. And somebody's got to step up and lead. Somebody's got to say, I'm putting in my heart to do Bible studies with people and engage in that. And you're going to learn as you go. One of the first Bible studies I did when I became a young evangelist was with Jay Henderson. I don't know if you remember this, Jay. We was in Mississippi. We was running around with Lindale Greer, and we was talking with people, and we got in the car, and I said, where are we going? They said, we're going to do a Bible study. I said, well, my studies are back at the house. Jay said, you can just use mine. I said, Jay, I ain't that familiar with yours. He said, it'll be all right. It's no different than the rest. I got through about line three of that study, and Jay said, won't you let me do this study? (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) But I've learned along the way. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to embrace these things. 
And we need people who are willing to be the tip of the spear and engage the Baptist preachers and engage the Mormons and engage the false doctrine and stand up here and preach the truth. That's what will make churches thrive. Every person contributes to the production of the whole. Every person works together to produce the end result, which is growth. Every one of you matters. And I think I probably told this before, but I'm going to tell it again. Because a few years ago, myself and Jim Hayes were working in a congregation. We were going to every member's home. We went up and knocked on the door. Someone says, come in. As soon as I walk in, this lady said, don't touch me. And I says, okay. I'm not used to tackling people usually as soon as I walk in. But don't touch me. I said, okay. What's going on? This sister in Christ had a, some kind of autoimmune disease, and anything that touched her, she bruised. It was terrible. She, she couldn't wash her hands without bruising. She couldn't go to the grocery store. She couldn't hold a baby. And this woman was suffering, and it was terrible. And she's a prisoner in her own body. And as we began to visit and talk, she said, you know what I can do? I can pray. She said, I pray every day. I pray for people. I'll tell you, it, it touched me. It hurt me. Now, this woman has prayed for people in this room. Because I made a deal with her. I said, I'm going to text you names for people to pray with, pray for. She does. And her health comes up and goes down and she struggles. I'm going to tell you what, everybody matters. We need everyone on board. For a church to thrive, no one can be idle because no Christian is useless. We need all of you building relationships as best you can, inviting people to church. And we need people here in this room, both men and women, to dedicate themselves to do Bible studies with other people to spread the gospel. We need it today, brethren. For a church to thrive, we must all contribute. So what makes churches thrive? If someone's not doing their share, only two things can happen. Number one, someone's overworked. And generally when we're overworked, we don't do such a good job. Number two, production will be limited. No studies. Less studies. Only a few studies. What if we get focused on the wrong thing? You know, I saw a congregation that just got focused on the wrong thing. All they were focused on was, can we get visitors in the door? No Bible studies. No follow-up. No discipleship. Well, they got people in the door. People come in the front door and they went out the back door. Well, that's not the mission of the church. I've seen congregations that were all focused on only singing. I like to sing. I love good singing. That's not our mission. Have you ever heard of mission creep? Mission creeps where we got a goal and a mission and we end up over here. The gospel's our goal. That's the mission and we end up in benevolent works. I like benevolent works. We need that. It's a part of the mission. But we end up promoting benevolent works more than the the gospel. It's the wrong idea. 
So I want to encourage you, for a church to thrive, we can't have mission creep. We've got to stay focused. And even sometimes focusing on good things and overdoing it on one thing is going to hurt us. Churches thrive when the membership and the leadership embrace the work and work hard. There is no magic pill. I tell you, I wish I had a dollar bill for every time I went to a church in the last 25 years and someone was asking for a magic pill. We need a magic pill to make our church grow. I go, you want blue or red? No problem. There's no magic pill. There's no little trick. There's no some secret thing that we do that makes a church grow. It just doesn't exist. Hard work. Brethren, hard work is what makes churches grow. Hard work. Dedication to that work. If you don't know what to do, you need to go to your elders and say, What can I do? Because we need everybody working. Romans chapter 16. If you have a Bible, turn there. We'll have the passages up here. I want you to notice a regular old common church in the New Testament. I don't know what's special about the church at Rome. Probably a decent sized church. I don't know. But I want you to notice about these people in this church. Romans 16 verse 1 and 2. I commend to you Phoebe our sister. Who is a servant of the church in Chinsria. That ye may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. I don't know a lot about Phoebe. I do know this. She was a church worker. She was a servant to the church. Maybe she kept people in her home and fed them. I don't know. Maybe she was setting up Bible studies. I don't know. Maybe she was that little blonde-headed gal who was studying with a Baptist preacher. I don't know. But I do know this, she was a servant in the church. That's what she did. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. I know a little bit about them because I know they studied with Apollos. So I know that these two, this couple, was working together and studying together with people who walked in the doors of the church. That's the kind of people they were. They were engaging with other people and they were teaching them doctrine. That's what they did. Now notice verse 4. Who risked their own necks for my life. Were they dedicated to the church? You better believe it. They'd have died for the church. They would have died for Paul. To whom, on, whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. They had a whole family of people here that are serving the church. He goes on to say, Greet my loved, beloved Epaponidas, who is the firstfruits of Achaia to Christ. Don't know a lot about Epaponidas. Verse 6, Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Another Christian who we don't know a lot about, but she labored and worked for the church. Verse 7, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners, who are of, of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. These folks were fellow prisoners with Paul. Why were they in prison? Probably for being Christians. Because they were dedicated to the Lord. Verse 8, Greet Amphilius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow, our fellow worker in Christ. And Statius, my beloved. Again, we have someone who's working for the church and promoting the church. 
Romans 16.10, Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. We don't have much about labor here. We have a group of people, evidently, who were highly involved in the working of the church. Verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncretus. Philagon, Hermenus, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Junia, Neres and his sister and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. We've got a whole other list of people chosen in the Lord and a part of the kingdom. And I hope what you get from this is there was a great many people in this congregation who were actively working and serving. Were they men? Some. Were they women? A whole lot. And they're actively working to build the church and for the church to thrive. And I want to talk to you about the work of the church for just a little while as we wrap this up. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. That's church work. Working together to get the Word of God in people's hearts. You know, we had a fellow back home that it took... 18 years for that man to obey the gospel. 18 years. Merle Fielder studied with him, David Minson, Ram Rodriguez, and I was the lucky guy who was there the day he decided to obey the gospel. 18 years of study. And he was planted and watered and watered and watered. And the time got right, and those seeds in his heart grew. And he became a member of the body of Christ. And that's the name of the game. That's the mission we're involved in. I have planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. God will bless us if we will put the effort and do the work of the church. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. What makes people want to plant and water? What makes people do that? I think there's only one answer. In Luke 10, 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, your neighbor is yourself. It's the only reason people do church work, because they love people, and they love the Lord. I talked about how I love Tom Hicklin. I love my parents. I've got good parents. They love the Lord. They were good to me. They raised me and taught me. They disciplined me. My parents give to me. I'm driving a blue pickup out there. My father give me. I told him I don't want that pickup. I'm not taking that pickup. He said, I don't know what you could do about it. Next thing I know, he gifted that pickup to the church, and then it was in my name. They're good to me. Do I love them? You bet. Would I do things for them? I certainly will. I love Gay Henderson. I've sat at her table many a times. I think there's probably plenty of times she woke up of a morning and when we come up to breakfast, there was Sean. She had no idea I was coming. 
She was good to me. She fed me. She took care of me. It's easy to love that. God has blessed you, and God has sanctified you, and God has cleansed you, and God has given you life and blessings. My friends, we owe Him our strength and our soul and the love of all of our hearts. What makes people work for the church? Love. What makes a 22-foot Bermuda root grow up in a church building? Is it love? It's I don't care. And churches that have people that love God will thrive. If we love people, we're going to find a way to talk to them. We're going to find a way to tell them about Jesus. In Matthew 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We've got to decide. Do we love the Lord? Then we've got to serve the Lord. We've got to do the work of Jesus. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves do break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Was this the work of the church? The work of the church is to talk to your friends, your co-workers, your family. That may be hard to do. I'm going to tell you what I started to do. I go to people that I've known for a long time and I've never talked to them about the Lord and I'd say, I want to apologize to you for never talking to you about Jesus. I want to talk to you. And then I do it. And it's a little uncomfortable the first time, but I'm going to tell you, the second time and the third time, we generally have a pretty good conversation. I want to encourage you to engage this week with your friends and your neighbors and invite them and I'll show you from Scripture, the same thing was going on then as is happening today. Acts chapter 28, verse 23, when they had appointed him a day, this is Paul, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Same thing was happening then is happening today. Paul met people. He built a relationship. He invited them to his home. Undoubtedly, he invited them to the worship service. When they came there, he taught them. He opened the scriptures. He taught them all day long. You know what happened? Some of them believed. Some of them became Christians. Some didn't. And you know what he did? He repeated it. And he repeated it again and again and again. And I want to tell you, my friends, churches that do that thrive. They thrive. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. We ought to work harder than any church in town. Colossians 2, 18. 
Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, in worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. God will bless our work. If we will plant and we will water, God will bless. And He's never failed to bless us. Not when we put in the effort. He's never failed to help us when we ask Him for help. He's never failed to give us what we need. I'm going to ask you to get your songbooks out this evening. <clears throat> Are you thriving in your life? Are you thriving as a man, as a husband or a father? Are you thriving as a wife and a mother? Are you thriving in your relationship with God? Are you praying daily? Are you happy to open God's book and study His Word? Are you eagerly telling people about Jesus? Are you thriving? I tell you, it's yes, no, or I don't know. And one answer will work. Yes, I'm thriving. If you're not thriving, you need to change. You need to change your direction. You need to change your attitude. You need to humble yourself before God. Say, help me do better. Help me catch on fire to live and serve you. And I'll tell you, I want you to thrive. God wants you to thrive. God wants your family to thrive. He wants this church thriving. And if you're not thriving, you've got to change. You've got to make a change, and that's what this is about. And if we can help you tonight to change, then humble yourself and come. Is it hard to come up? Yes. Everybody's going to look at you? Sure. Everybody here, we're going to be happy to pray for you. Their heart's going to melt with care and love for strength, for growth. We all want to go to heaven. Let's help each other. And if you need to change yourself tonight, let's make a change. We'll go to God and He will help you as we sing.